I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show. TCS is brought to you by MTN Business. Do check them out at mtnbusiness.co.za, and we thank them for partnering with the show. Now, it's been a while since the Tech Central Show delved into the world of cryptocurrencies, but we're going to rectify that now in a conversation with Sean Sanders, the co-founder and CEO of Revix. Or Sean, should I say Altify? Uh, that's because uh, Sean has some big news for, to share with us today. Sean, welcome to the show. First of all, how, how, how are things uh, in the world of crypto? Duncan, thanks very much for having us back. Uh, so how have things been in the world of crypto? Now, that is it's a, a big question. question. <laughs> wow. It has been a year. Uh, we've had everything from the FTX drama that mm-hmm. played out just a few weeks ago, uh, going on a few months ago now, to the recent Binance drama, uh, if anyone's been following the crypto market, uh, Binance pled guilty to a whole host of different charges. And the, the CEO, CEO stepped CZ, down. Yeah. And the CEO stepped down. Yeah, massive, massive news on that front. But you've seen this massive rally in the market. Uh, so good and bad, I suppose. But I mean, <laughs> the, crypto, the crypto market is up. I think yesterday, it's roughly, I'm looking at our top 20 bundle right now, which is yeah. about 96% of the entire crypto market that's contained in this bundle. It's up about 78% year to date. I know Bitcoin's up close to 100%. Mm. You've had some cryptocurrencies like Solana that were really badly impacted by FTX and all the rest towards the end of 2022. They've rallied close to 400 to 500% this year. Wow. So it's been a really positive year, I guess, in the background, because I know that there's a lot of building going on in the crypto space, mm. but it has been a very challenging market for everyone that's been involved. So excited for 2024. And of course, we've got this big news that we are breaking today. Yes, well, let's let's get into that right away. Let's not keep the audience uh, hanging. Um, tell us, what is the news? Yeah, so on the 1st of December, and you may be listening to this a little bit later, uh, Revix, Coinpanion, and Johannesburg-based uh, Bitfund, and Coinpanion is an Austrian-based crypto investment platform, will be coming together to form a new investment platform that actually focuses on alternative investments uh, as well as, of course, on the crypto products that we all offer called Altify. So it's a play on alternatives and diversify. Uh, so the gap that we've really seen both in the South African market and looking across Africa and really across the entire EMEA region, so that's Europe, Middle East, and Africa, is that there isn't a go-to alternative investment platform. So when I say alternative investments, what I'm referring to here is venture capital. Of course, crypto falls into that. You go to private equity, you go to real estate, uh, private debt, uh, known as private credit as well. These are really interesting asset classes. And coming from a world of finance, I'm a bit of a finance geek. In my prior life, I was managing alternative investments for some very wealthy people. And these what, these alternative investments make up between 20 to, in some cases, up to 50% of a wealthy individual's portfolio. If you look at a pension fund's uh, breakdown, you'll see a lot of alternative investments. They'll have commodities as well that will form part of that alternative investment allocation. And the reason that they do that is not only because alternative investments over the long term have outperformed public markets like the JSE Top 40 and the S&P 500 and all the rest, but they also provide remarkable diversification. So while the stock market is flying up and flying down, uh, alternatives are able to have an inverse correlation in the perfect world or a low correlation, at least to the stock market. So what this means ultimately is when the stock markets decline, not all your investments have to decline if you've got exposure to alternative investments. So what we want to do is to get alternative investments into the hands of everyday people. And just from a reference standpoint, I know it's a you know, 20% plus with wealthy individuals and institutional investors that are holding alternative investments. The average person in South Africa right now has less than 3% exposure to alternative investments. And that's generally through the likes of crypto or maybe through a real estate investment of some kind. There's very little exposure to private debt, which is one of the fastest growing and highest returning asset classes out there. There's very little exposure to venture capital. And you look at developed markets, say, like the United Kingdom across Europe and the US, and the picture is very different. All of a sudden, you've got close to 6 to 10% of your average retail investor having exposure to alternative investments. So there's this huge opportunity that we see across the EMEA market. And that's now the next step for us. So Altify is now launching us into this alternative investing space. We will continue to offer all the same crypto investment products that you've got to know on the Revix platform. In fact, if you log in to the Revix account that you would have, um, or I hope you you, you get, uh, you'll actually see it's very similar um, to to what we had before. So the Altify account, sorry, I'm, I'm mumbling up my words here, but the Altify account that you'll be logging into would be very similar to the Revix account 
that you would have had previously. And the reason for that is we're building on top of the RevX technologies. We're building on top of not only our mobile app and our web app, um, but also on our backend technology and our regulatory structuring and all the rest as well. Tell me a bit about how the uh, the deal came about. Um, who are Coinpanion? How did you meet them? How did you decide you liked each other enough to do a deal? So weird how these things happen. Uh, so rewind to early June in this year. Uh, I got introduced to the founder of Coinpanion through one of our investors at Revix. And when I initially looked at Coinpanion, because we had sort of loosely looked at them in the past as an international competitor, I was quite blown away just how similar they are or how similar they were really to Revix. So they are the Austrian version of Revix. They've got various crypto portfolios that we call at Revix crypto bundles that provide diversified exposure to the crypto market. So they had exactly the same thesis as us, which is to say that people will choose to invest in the crypto space and not only trade assets in the crypto space. And they would like to have a diversified index-like portfolio or ETF-like investment opportunity in the crypto space. So we both grew in different markets. Uh, Coinpanion has about 35,000 users in Austria. Revix has over 40,000 users in South Africa. So similar sort of sized entities. And now by bringing them together, not only, not only are we able to realize the synergies and that's the cost savings and all the rest, but we're really able to now focus on what we want to achieve going forward, entering international markets and then offering our investors these alternative investments over the next six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And the other business uh, is Bitfund. Uh, I met the guys behind that when they launched uh, a few years ago. Uh, very smart guys, um, uh, but I haven't heard much of them in, in, in recent years. Where, where has their focus been? I mean, they believe they've been more on the B2B side of the crypto market. Uh, and and how, did, um, how did the arrangement or the relationship with Bitfund emerge? So it was exactly the same, weirdly enough, as the Coinpanion engagement. I got an introduction from one of our investors. I got to speak to Dean Joffe, who's the CEO of Bitfund. And Bitfund's team had been quite focused on the B2B market. As you noted, they're looking at getting crypto in the hands of big banks and big brokerage houses across South Africa. And they want to build the back-end technology for that. Uh, managing a retail investment platform that focuses on everyday people it comes with its own challenges. You've got to make sure that compliance is in place. You've got now the CASP licensing. So that's a crypto mm -hmm. asset service provider licensing that's being implemented by the FSCA in South Africa. That deadline is in two days time. So uh, it's on the 30th of, well, I guess in one day's time, ready from this recording on the 30th of November this year. So Bitfund's focus was on launching and growing this B2B side of their business. So Dean and I got to speak and we looked at collaborating on the B2B front. And then this opportunity emerged where we said, listen, your focus isn't on the B2C area of your business. Why do we not look at collaborating and let's look at joining forces? And that was actually earlier. So that was sort of in Q1 of this year. And you know, just the same as with Dean Joffe. I mean, uh, we spoke with Alex Fultanga, who's the CEO and founder of Coinpanion. And these are just great guys. Like we, we really got on as a group. And at the end of the day, I mean, business is about doing work with people as much as it's about making money. Sure. And all of us, we've got on really well. The teams have integrated really nicely. I mean, it's important to note Bitfund's customers have been brought over. We've not brought over the regulatory infrastructure that they have or any of the sort of back-end technology, uh, whereas we've brought over a lot more, inf uh, lot more of the technology and all the rest from Coinpanion. Okay, so what, is the, what does the company look like post this deal? How big is uh, Altify? Uh, um, I don't know to what extent you can g give us some, some indications in terms of the volumes of trades that go across your platforms. Um, maybe just some color in terms of how big this business is today. Yeah, so that's a good question. So we are now operating across three key jurisdictions. So we're operating across South Africa, Austria, and the United Kingdom. Uh, that's where at least the team is based. Uh, we can only operate across the EMEA region in regions where we are licensed. And we'll always remain fully regulatory compliant in the different geographies that we are operating in. Um, in terms of our scale, so I mean, you've looked at a business now that has, let me maybe focus on Revix to start with. I mean, that's focused on the South African market. And you would think, hey, listen, South Africa isn't a massive market relative to the likes of Europe and all the rest. But it is quite remarkable at how many people in South Africa invest in crypto. It, it truly is. Because the average customer that is with Revix will end up investing on average with us, about $1,700 um, into the platform. With the likes of Coinpanion, you'd see roughly half that investment amount. And I wonder how much of that has got to do with uh, the RAND aspect, right? People wanting to get out of RANDs or wanting to get exposure to some sort of an international uh, non-RAND based investment opportunity. 
Um, so that's an interesting t- statistic. I mean, we process mul- multiple millions every single month in, pro- in trading volume, but we're not a trading platform. I mean, we are an investment platform. You can come along to the platform, of course, and buy a crypto bundle or buy a gold token, which is physically backed gold that's held through this tokenized structure, a super innovative product. Uh, you can buy standalone cryptocurrencies. And the moment after you make the purchase, you can choose to sell if you'd like. You could wait a day or you could wait 10 years. But I think our specialty and our sort of niche in this market is we focused on longer term investors. Um, so the okay. trading volume that we have isn't necessarily the same as what you would see with some of the bigger crypto exchanges where they really do focus a lot more on trading. We want some customer that comes along to us and wants to be with us for two, three, four, five years plus, um, ideally even longer. So what we look at really is assets under management. Um, and I would love to disclose that just yet. I, I unfortunately can't. Um, but that will be something that we'll look to disclose in the not too distant future because what we're working on is a structure where we can disclose all of the assets that we have under custody in a publicly verifiable way. So we looked to do this in the past. Uh, we did successfully do this until Mazars was no longer able to actually offer the service, which is where you do a proof of reserves report. So what this ultimately means is that you look to account for all of the assets that you hold under custody. And I actually think regulators will make this a requirement in the not too distant future. So you report to say, hey, listen, this is how much Bitcoin as a business we have. This is how much Bitcoin our customers have. Do they line up? And you go through all the different assets that you land up having. And what we're working on is a report ultimately or a dashboard that we are able to launch to the public so that they can verify that. And that then sets the standard for other platforms as well going forward. You say Mazars is no longer doing this. Is there is there someone else doing it in the local market? Uh, we're busy looking at different options. Uh, yeah. I think Moors actually went and started to offer a similar service not too long ago. We haven't elected to move forward with them, but we also haven't investigated it enough um, okay. because we're now focused on this dashboard where you can actually look at on-chain transaction data and on-chain balances and all the rest. Um, and it was unfortunately due to Binance as well not too long ago that Mazars decided to stop processing uh, these proof of reserves reports. If I'm not mistaken, and I stand to be corrected, Mazars was also doing proof of reserves reports for Luno, and they unfortunately had to hold those as well. Okay, okay. So before we move on, um, the, this newly merged uh, business, what does it look like in terms of leadership? You're going to be the CEO. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, you'll be bringing uh, on board or across uh, many of the Coinpanion executives as well. Are they all staying invested and, and participating in the merged business? They are. So the entire Coinpanion te- uh, team is moving across and the Revix leadership team, so the executive team, as well as the broader Revix team, they'll be moved over to Altify. Um, and there's no Bitfund team members that are coming over just yet. We are looking at a B2B structure and with that B2B structure, then the Bitfund team would look to, to lean into that. And as I noted about 60%, I think I noted this before the show, about 60% of the team are based in South Africa and the remaining 40% of the team are based between the United Kingdom and Europe. Um, I will continue to be the CEO of the business, uh, moving from Revix to Coinpanion, uh, sorry, moving to Altify. So there's too many, there's too many damn business names that I, that we need to remember. <laughs> Um, so I'm very excited about what's ahead. It's been a challenging year in the crypto space, of course, but yep. there's a new chapter that's been turned here as well. And you know, we're really excited about offering all these alternative investments to everyday people as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look back at the year that was in crypto in, in 2023 and look at some of those highlights. FTX must be the, the story of the year, not just in, in the crypto space, but possibly in the business space too, or certainly one of the biggest stories of the year. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, uh, CZ or CZ stepping down from uh, from Binance. That was a, a, another big story this year. We've seen the Bitcoin price, as you mentioned, ticking up very nicely. But just in the last few weeks, really, the rest of the year was a little more depressed. Um, what, what, was, what were the highlights for you? Um, I mean, what, let's start with FTX because that really was the big story of the year. What what was the impact of the FTX collapse on the on the crypto ecosystem? Did you see did you see ordinary investors suddenly saying, "Whoa, this is a big scary space. We're going to stop investing"? Um, what was the impact? Yeah, very good question. Uh, I mean, this entire market's about sentiment because mm-hmm. we don't yet have established regulation in the crypto space. The moment something like that happens, all investors freak out. Every investor asks. Are you a legitimate platform? Um, it also creates this massive barrier to entry because a new customer that comes along that you're trying to market to as an Altify or as a Revix or Companion or a Bitfund, the bar just gets set so much higher. It's so much more difficult to convince one of these users to join the platform uh, because they're naturally skeptical. 
because of all the scams in the crypto space. And I mean, if you look at South Africa alone, you've had MTI, uh, you had the KG brothers as well. I mean, these were massive Ponzi schemes. Mm-hmm. And we hope that with the new FSCA regulation that gets introduced, you're going to be able to do away with a lot of these. So yeah, I think the best outcome of 2023 has been that FTX has been dealt with and that mm-hmm. seems to be behind us. And you now hopefully have a cleaner market with better players in it. I think with Binance as well, I mean, also it's sort of the best outcome given that the SEC went after Binance as, gref- as aggressively as they did. Um, there's been a major uh, payment that's now required from Binance. I think it's $4 billion, I stand to be corrected. Uh, which is up there with you know some of the largest financial penalties that exist in the US. Um, and Binance will be able to pay that. So that's also you know sort of this big elephant in the room, which was you know are Binance liquid? Are they solvent? Okay, well that seems to have been addressed from at least our vantage point. Um, and that's a positive for the industry more broadly because that could have been a really big issue if Binance was similar, I suppose, in some respects to FTX. Mm-hmm. And that seems to have been dealt with because Binance hasn't been shut down by the SEC. Were you surprised that's no that promotion, C- by the way. Sorry, Dan, sure. that's no promotion necessarily of Binance. Um, it's sure. my reflection, I think, of just how the situation's played out as well there. Were you surprised that uh, CZ was forced to step down? No, I don't think I was. At, okay. at the end of the day, as a CEO of one of these businesses, you make decisions. And if you choose to enter the US market or you choose to enter – uh, one of these other major markets where there is really established financial regulation and you take chances or you cut corners, you know, you're taking risks. And you know, there was, if you dig into the detail there, there was a lot of decisions that he elected to make, whether it was commingling of customer funds, uh, setting up a separate structure where customer funds were moved to. And I mean, customers were never harmed by anything that CZ did. It's the risk that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of that, and a lot of that was made, public through various means, whether it be on X or uh, some other social media platforms, I kind of expected the fact that he would step down. I, I don't think he's gone out of the crypto industry as a figurehead. I think he is going to be dissociated, though, from Binance going forward. Okay. Okay. The I mean, you, you touched on some of the local scandal, the MTI thing, the KG Brothers, for example. Would you equate the FTX collapse to what happened at those companies? Is it a similar level of fraud and corruption that took place inside FTX that we witnessed in these South African examples? In my personal opinion, I think with FTX in particular, Sam landed up just getting ahead of himself. He did okay. not take risk management or he didn't really realize the major risks of doing what he did, which is to hold FTT tokens in Alameda's balance or on Alameda's balance sheet. That was always a risk, right? If that token had a decline, you're not going to have assets to back up liabilities. Customers are going to then land up losing out. And that was a huge, huge oversight on his side. But I don't think Sam went out, again, my personal opinion, I don't think he went out and looked to actually fraudulently Mm. uh, take funds from customers. With the likes of MTI and the likes of the KG brothers and all the rest, it seemed maybe not necessarily from day one, but certainly from month one or month 10 or whatever it may be that they were in it just to get funds from customers and look to run. And I think that's slightly different as well. FTX in the perfect world would have got bailed out by some player and probably would have been able to repair things internally. I mean, it would have been a very big hole in the FTX balance sheet and you would have needed a very big player to come in to actually address that, but that could have happened. Um, So again, I don't think the intent from Sam was really malicious or looking to uh, screw customers over, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think the SEC's uh, investigations and crackdown on, on these big crypto exchanges in the US in the long term is good for the market, or do you think it doesn't really have a, a long-term impact? I think it's good for other markets. I think it's good for the likes of Germany and Switzerland and Singapore and Hong Kong and potentially South Africa. And the reason I say that is because innovation – needs a climate to flourish. You need to have regulators that are saying, we are open to you trying things out within reason, of course, you know, report to us, but we're going to give you the opportunity to build a new innovative feature. We understand that there's risks involved. Cool, let's put the necessary framework in place for that to flourish. And you've seen the likes of Singapore, Switzerland, you know, all the the countries that I mentioned earlier sort of move ahead of the US. So there's no regulation for crypto at the moment in the US. And any crypto exchange that would be launching now, any crypto web three business would probably be looking elsewhere. So their first uh, thought wouldn't be, oh, let's go establish a Delaware company. Let's rather go and establish a company in Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai. I mean, you go through the list of 
the different other jurisdictions that are more welcoming. So I think the U.S. is driving away innovation, um, but the U.S. is the biggest market in the world. There's the most venture capital money there as well. I think that'll end up bringing back innovation at a future point in time. Um, but the SEC is showing that they care more about the consumers and they, they care more about as well sort of protecting the financial system in the U.S. than fostering innovation. And maybe that's also just the position where the U.S. is at. The U.S. is this blue chip market that doesn't need to have all these upstart companies flourish in that jurisdiction right at this very moment in time. And maybe that changes in the future. But the rest of these jurisdictions, and in particular, the likes of Singapore, Hong Kong and the UAE, they're leaning into this massively. They're taking advantage of this. And essentially, it's known as regulatory arbitrage. Interesting. Interesting. Sean, do you think the bad news is out of the system now or could there be another FTX blindsiding us in the coming months? I've learned in this industry never to say never. Uh, <laughs> things can happen, of course. There aren't any major risks that I would see if I look at the entire crypto market. Uh, you do see seem to at least have a lot of these major upsets. I mean, as I say this, I'm actually hesitant in everything I'm saying. I'm almost, I'm almost <laughs> hesitant to say what I was going to say. But there's no known risks that I'm aware of. I think if anything, we're heading into 2024 with really positive and favorable market conditions. So mm -hmm. you've got high interest rates in all markets pretty much. And that means it's quite likely that over the next 12 to 18 months that interest rates will come down. That's generally supportive for growth assets. And that would be growth stocks like Microsoft, Nvidia and all the rest, as well as for crypto assets. So the macro story is important for the crypto industry. So that's on the one side. Secondly, most people won't have seen this, but the amount of development work that's been happening in the Web3 space is remarkable. I mean, these have gone, these Web3 projects have gone from being nice little beta test cases to fully fledged projects with hundreds of thousands of users in many cases. And it's really remarkable that you start engaging with these DeFi or decentralized finance apps and you can see just where they're going. So you know this is the future of finance and there's still brain drain from the IT industry and from uh, the, the broader investing and financial world into the Web3 space, which is, I think, another positive sign over the long term. But this market is so sentiment driven. And I think that's just something that we need to keep in mind. If sentiment was to change and for whatever reason, uh, you know, interest rates are going to be kept higher for longer, things can change very quickly. Mm. So our view at Revix and now going into Altify has always been sort of look at this from the long term. I think trading in the crypto market, you know, if that's your thing and you're going to allocate a little bit of capital to that, do that. That's absolutely fine. But I'd really look at the five, ten, five or 10 year horizon and go, okay, if I'm going to take a position in Bitcoin or if I'm going to take a position in, let's say, one of our bundles that automatically updates with the crypto market, that's the long term investment opportunity here because you don't just see a 20% return or a 10% return. You know, if this crypto market or if one of the crypto sectors really lands up growing over time, this isn't going to just be a two or $3 trillion industry. I mean, the market's sitting at about $1.4 trillion worth of value right now. This is a 10, a 10 to $20 trillion industry then over the much longer term, if not more. And I think that's the opportunity that we need to look out to. I mean, certainly the position that we advocate with our users. Yeah. That's interesting. You say the market cap of the entire crypto industry is 1.4 trillion. But if you look at just two companies, Microsoft and Apple, each of them has a market capitalization, double that. Uh, which which logic would seem to suggest then if this is a um, an asset class is going to transform the finance industry, why is it sitting at such a tiny market cap relative to two tech companies? Um, it, it seems logical to infer that the only direction has to be up if if crypto has utility, wide wide scale utility, then it has to go up from these levels, surely. Yeah, I mean that's the big question. Does it have utility and? I mean, I'm sold down this rabbit hole, of course. I've built an entire business around the crypto space. But, I mean, look at what we're doing as a business. As Altify, we're diversifying across different asset classes. Yeah. And that's the same thing that we would say to everyone, right? I mean, if you're going to go bet your house on crypto, I think that's a very high-risk investment. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. definitely not recommend that. But 2 to 5% of your portfolio, of your overall portfolio, that is, that makes a lot of sense. And it is a VC-style investment. Because, as I said, I mean, over a 3 to 5-year horizon, you can see many multiples of return, yeah. but you are taking a lot of risk. And I think it's just very important, again, to come back to the risk element here. Everyone knows crypto is volatile, but when you go in with that long-term mentality, a 20% move in a week, which is not completely uncommon in the crypto space, then just becomes part of the course. And you are yeah. going then for that, that, that sort of long-term journey, which, which again is what we recommend. 
Probably a good point then, Sean, to talk about Bitcoin ETFs. Um, the US SEC has been talking about this for some time. Um, various Bitcoin ETFs are in development and I believe are ready for launch. Why is everyone so laser focused on this right now? It's a very good question. And that's something I missed, I guess, thinking about 2024 in terms of the positive opportunities that exist in the market and the catalyst for further growth. So a Bitcoin spot ETF ultimately means that you can invest in this financial product that trades on a stock exchange and can be held in brokerage accounts. Now, why is that beneficial? Well, all of a sudden you can have everyday people that have never opened crypto accounts get a little bit of exposure to the crypto market through this Bitcoin spot ETF. So that's one advantage. Um, you potentially will see pension funds as well into the space, as well as other institutional investors, because some of them have mandates that restrict them from accessing assets like crypto assets that aren't necessarily uh, held with ISA numbers, uh, ultimately security numbers uh, that can be held in brokerage accounts. So that's another advantage. And I think importantly, it means that you aren't reliant on another market uh, for the pricing of this Bitcoin ETF. So getting into the detail here, spot ETF means that you are looking at having spot Bitcoin, which is the actual Bitcoin um, that you would see on the likes of a Altify or another crypto investment platform that is held then in custody with that particular ETF. You're not holding a futures contract, which then can trade at a premium or a discount. And that's mm -hmm. massively valuable as well, because all of a sudden you're engaging directly with the underlying crypto market rather than engaging with the derivative markets that then rely on the underlying spot market. So it's the dynamics in the background there, which is also really important. And I think the other thing is it sends a signal. Like three years ago, there was questions around whether crypto is here to stay. And I think those questions have now changed to, okay, where does this market go? And I hope then the next question that comes up is, okay, well, will crypto actually be able to compete with the likes of Visa and MasterCard in helping reduce uh, processing speeds? Or if you're looking at going to a checkout option, I mean, right now you could probably see a SnapScan, a Visa, a MasterCard. I mean, you go through the different payment options. Um, is it so far-fetched to imagine a stablecoin payment option or a Bitcoin payment option in the next year? Probably not. And I think that's how we go from a niche little asset class or a blockchain industry that's not really getting a lot of real-world use case to at least in the payment space, then getting worldwide adoption and certainly having everyday people enter the space. So you don't worry about blockchain as much, right? Because I think that was all the hype in the past. You start going, oh, the payments aspect here is really interesting, but there's a whole other world of other decentralized things happening that go well beyond the world of payments. Well, let's talk a bit, bit about payments now, because I think um, people have tended to hoard Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies because they see it as an investment class. In fact, you focus as a company on attracting people who want to invest here rather than to trade. Um, we don't see much, by the way, of, of crypto trading. I know you can buy, buy your groceries at Pick and Pay now with Bitcoin if, you, if you're if that way inclined. I'm sure it's only a tiny fraction of 1% of customers who've actually done that. Um, what, what are the barriers in the way of, of this becoming a, a means for payment? I know that um, we've talked in the past about the cost of transactions on, on, on things like the Ethereum blockchain, the slowness of the Bitcoin blockchain. I know there was the Lightning Protocol that was introduced a few years ago, but there still seem to be a lot of barriers in the way of ordinary consumers using crypto as a day-to-day -day payment mechanism. Um, is that really going to change from next year or, or in future? And what still needs to happen for that to take off? It's a very good question. I don't know if people would ever want to spend Bitcoin when it's sort of treated a little like gold, right? I mean, you don't yeah. want to spend your gold. You'd rather hold on to your gold. And that's how Bitcoin's developed. But in the instance that you do have hyperinflation, if you go and maybe sit down in, let's go, a Turkish cafe, or you go into Argentina as an example right now, where you have really high inflation rates, maybe it makes a little bit more sense for you to rather use a cryptocurrency to store your wealth rather than the local currency. And that also then means that you can transact in that cryptocurrency. Now, in my personal opinion, I don't think you're going to see Bitcoin really grow in the payments arena, not more than what gold has. I mean, you can use gold, believe it or not, to buy and sell various items. And there's a whole bunch of providers out there that provide that offer those services. Um, but a lot of people just don't want to do that because you pay your taxes in your local currency. You pay taxes in rands. You get paid your salary in rands, generally speaking, as well. So that means you're used to engaging in rands. You price things mentally in your head in rands. And I think in order for us to maybe take a big step forward uh, in the crypto space here around payments, it's looking at the stablecoin industry. Now, this is probably a sector of the crypto space that hasn't got enough attention because it is incredibly exciting. You've ultimately taken fiat currencies 
such as dollars, pounds, euros, rands, and you've put them onto blockchains. Now, what, what are some of the immediate benefits by putting these onto blockchains? And don't get me wrong, there's been challenges in this industry as well. Um, but some of the immediate benefits is all of a sudden you don't need a bank in order to hold the the fiat currency that is now dollarized in a stablecoin format. You can transact, uh, you can transact, sorry, 24-7, 365 and make immediate payments, effectively immediate payments to other participants. So no intermediary, which means no fee um, or very low fees at least. Um, and you're able to transact 24-7, 365. It doesn't matter if you're making a payment to somebody sitting next to you or somebody on the other side of the world. Like there's all of these benefits that start coming up. And then when you make programmable money, right, which is yeah. ultimately what a lot of these stable coins are, because you can add additional features uh, to them, just like you can upgrade your Tesla uh, with additional features. You can do this now with money, which means, okay, well, this money is now, let's say, sent to a person or a company uh, for a tender. Now that money can be tracked exactly where it's gone to. And perhaps there's even smart features around that, which is to say, okay, well, this money can't be used if it's, let's say, a social grant um, at, or on a gambling site, or uh, it can't be spent on alcohol. So there's all these benefits that can be baked in. So ultimately, you can program what exactly money can be used for. And I think that's really powerful. And we haven't really got our minds around that just yet. Okay, okay. The other thing I wanted to touch on, Sean, was um, what's called the halving, or I think it's sometimes called the halvening. Um, it happens every few years. Um, it's related to Bitcoin. Uh, and I'm not going to attempt to describe this because I will butcher it. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you to explain what the halving is. But I know there's another halving of Bitcoin coming up sometime and think in the first half of next year. And historically, this has pushed up the price of not only Bitcoin, but all crypto assets. How significant is this next halving? Uh, what, for, first of all, what is a halving? Why is it significant and what is it going to mean for the price of crypto assets in 2024? We love weird things in the crypto space, right? We love making what is already a complicated industry more complicated. The halving is ultimately the reduction by 50% of the block reward. Now, what does that mean? It ultimately means that the inflation rate of Bitcoin is halved. So if you imagine the South African inflation rate right now, I think it's about 6.5%, between 55 and 6.5%. Just imagine that inflation rate being reduced. Because Bitcoin's supply is algorithmic, meaning every single time a block is mined, new Bitcoin is created to reward the miner. Uh, you need to have this reduction every, it's every four years effectively. And it's always one of these massive events in the crypto space. Why? Because, well, you've got generally speaking over time, more demand coming in. So more people wanting to buy Bitcoin and learning about this industry, but you're having the supply get cut in half every four years. So it is a really big moment in the industry from a sentiment standpoint and from a structural standpoint. Um, so in other halvings, you've seen really big rallies in the crypto space. There's a lot of headlines that come out around Bitcoin and a lot of news outlets as well trying to explain what the halving is all about. Um, I mean, we're excited about that. I think you've got the halving as well as the Bitcoin spot ETF with this really great macro background uh, or macro backdrop, should I say, that supports this crypto industry and generally growth assets. It's provided, though, that we can get inflation under control more broadly. Um, but I think it's this, these reasons, actually, not just this reason, I suppose, that we're getting excited as an industry as well. Is it, does it still make sense to mine Bitcoin? I mean, it's, it's getting more and more expensive to do, isn't it? Um, and it tends to be done in these large farms and in using geothermal energy under Iceland and places like that. Um, quite exotic stuff. And uh, I think they've even been mining Bitcoin using energy from volcanoes. Uh, <laughs> is it, um, I mean, can, can an ordinary person buy a GPU or a bank of GPUs in 2023 and still make profit from mining Bitcoin? Not that I know of. Uh, no. Not from Bitcoin, at least. You can mine Litecoin. You can mine a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And I do know that there are some people that are doing this in South Africa. And there are cryptocurrencies that pop up specifically for these purposes, right? They, where they want everyday person to be able to mine. But no, Bitcoin has been institutionalized from a mining standpoint. You've literally got listed companies on the NASDAQ that are focused exclusively on Bitcoin mining. Um, and if you actually walk into any of these, what looks like this massive server farm, it's just remarkable. It's incredibly loud. You wouldn't actually hear somebody speaking a meter away from you. There's cooling <laughs> dynamics like you've never seen. Um, it really is something. And when you look at that as well, because that's the architecture that now sits in the background supporting this Bitcoin ecosystem. I mean, it is remarkable. It, it is incredible that this has been built up in an industry that isn't regulated or as mm -hmm. is loosely regulated worldwide. That, I think that's a big trend as well, just to, to note on, and I did allude to it earlier as well, 
Uh, this is an industry that is going to get regulated over the next two to three years. And that regulation will come in hard and you'll see a lot of players, I think, get impacted and move out of the space. And I think that's a long-term positive uh, for the industry, but it needs to be done in the right sort of way. So you need to get that right balancing act. Um, but there has been as well, now coming back to the, the previous point that you noted, there has been the growth of staking, right, instead of mining. So you've got the likes of Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, Polkadot. I mean, these are cryptocurrencies that have got a staking mechanism rather than a uh, the mining mechanism. And what does that ultimately mean? It means that you can commit some of your cryptocurrency to a node. And again, we're getting into all the jargon here, but you as an everyday person can, in most of these instances, maybe with the exception of Ethereum, um, because you'd need 32 Ethereum in order to commit to a staking node, but you can actually generate a yield for validating transactions on the network. So a lot of crypto platforms offer staking as a service. And ultimately, what that platform is helping you do is to help validate transactions on that particular network. And by committing some of your Solana, Polkadot, Ethereum, or whatever it may be, you're effectively saying, listen, I'm putting collateral aside that the transactions that I'm validating are in fact correct. And if they're not correct, well, you can take away my cryptocurrency, but you're never going to validate an incorrect transaction. The software is not built for that. So you'll be able okay. to continue then earning a yield. And at the moment, I think with Ethereum, it's about 6% that you can end up uh, earning. With Polkadot, it's up to about 12% a year. So they're not bad yields that you can earn on these different assets. There was the merge, of course, in the Ethereum world. Was that a 2023 event? I'm trying to remember now. Did it happen last year? Oh, this has been such a long year. I can't even remember. I, I think it, I think I think it, it was, was a 2023 yeah, um, that seems to go off very, very smoothly, counter to many people's expectations. Um, what was uh, what was that merge about, and what did it actually achieve at the end of the day? Um, the Ethereum price didn't seem to move much on the back of it. Um, what has it really changed? And are you surprised it went off so smoothly? Because a lot of people s seem to think it was going to be a disaster. Yeah, I think the Ethereum community, uh, how do I say this to be politically correct? They've... <laughs> sometimes done an Elon Musk where they've really kind of made big promises and not been able to deliver on certain things uh, or taken more time to deliver on certain things where various projects take a lot longer. But if you look at, uh, and I'm taking a bit of a step back to answer this question, but if you look at the likes of say Solana or Cardano, I mean, these are newer crypto projects relative to the likes of Ethereum, which means that they have faster processing times. Um, they have slightly different architecture. And what ultimately that means is that while Ethereum's got the most market share by an, like country mile. I mean, I think they've got about 75% of sort of the smart contract market. If you, if you use that as sort of the sector definition, um, it just means that while it's got market share, it doesn't have the efficiencies that you've got with the likes of some of these other blockchains. So what Ethereum is ultimately doing is implementing these various upgrades. You've got to think about cryptocurrency networks and, and these protocols kind of like operating systems on your laptop or on your phone. They go through upgrades and they can be improved over time and they will be improved over time. You've got some networks like Bitcoin, which have very small uh, upgrades every so often. Um, sometimes there'll be a very big upgrade where you'll see a fork occur, like with Bitcoin Cash that occurred back in 2017. And there were subsequent forks that landed up occurring then. And that's literally a fork in software. So you land up having two different Bitcoin networks that land up sort of competing with each other. Um, and what you've seen now ultimately with Ethereum is you've seen additional forks over time back in, I think it was 2014 or 15, you saw the Ethereum fork that then landed up uh, creating Ethereum Classic, which is technically the original Ethereum, but the Ethereum that you would see on most crypto platforms, which is the second largest cryptocurrency in existence. I mean, that's a fork of the original network. Um, and that's then going through all of these upgrades on about a quarterly basis. And what they're looking at doing is making the transactions far quicker and more secure so that applications can build on top of the Ethereum network going forward. I, I still battle actually just trying to simplify everything that's happening in the crypto sure. space um, because there's so much jargon. I mean, mm. to, to say a node um, or to try to use something that's a little easier to understand is always, it's, so I do apologize if uh, no, no, not no, not at all. No, it is very complicated. And I cover tech. I write about tech for a living and uh, um, not just crypto, of course, the broad tech industry. And I do struggle to keep up with some of the terminology that comes up in the crypto space. Does does the merge, though, um, help turn Ethereum or Ether, it's, it's, it's the coin that sits on the Ethereum blockchain, into, into something that's more suitable for payments as well? No, I don't see no. Ethereum being utilized for payments. It's far quicker than Bitcoin. Um, so a Bitcoin payment could take 
anywhere from 20 minutes to 45 minutes to be processed. So that's with yeah. block confirmations. Again, they see there's jargon that comes in. Um, <laughs> with Ethereum, it's far quicker. So it could be five minutes to 20 minutes, depending on the network congestion, but that's still not fast enough for payments. You need to be able to tap a card or to make a payment to someone and almost instantly know. Um, that's where the likes of Solana becomes a lot more interesting. But there are different mm -hmm. things that um, the Bitcoin network or different projects, should I say, that the Bitcoin network is working on, that the Ethereum network is working on. So I think you will end up seeing massive progress in all these different areas. And you can kind of imagine what it was like booting up a PC back in the early 90s. It took a while for a PC to be booted up. And you look today, it can boot up very, very quickly, if not instantly. Yeah. And that's probably what you'll end up seeing in the crypto space. So the transaction speeds are a problem now. I don't think there'll be a problem in five or 10 years time. Interesting. Let's look back at um, the, the, the uh, 2023 from a South African perspective. If you were to pick two, two things that happened this year, one that was the best thing that happened in the local crypto space and one which was the worst thing for the industry, what would you pick? Oof, the best thing for the local industry, regulation, and that's yet to happen. But I think it's South Africa being the first African country to introduce regulation. And introduce it as well, and I have to compliment the FSCA on this, which is not something that I've done all that often in the past. Uh, <laughs> but you've got to compliment the FSCA on the approach that they've taken here, where they have introduced regulation and they're looking to clean up the space. That's more than every other African country. So that's impressive. Do I think they could have moved faster? Definitely. I think we could have helped a lot of people by having regulations sooner. Um, in terms of the negative news, I mean, I'd have to bring this close to home with Revix. I mean, we had a custody challenge earlier this year with Haru Invest, which was a partner that we had engaged with. Um, and that was a terribly challenging period for us as a, as a business and naturally for the customers that were impacted by Haru Invest. And just to give the, the listeners and, and viewers a bit of context here. So the way we custody cryptocurrencies at Revix or the way we custodied cryptocurrencies, I suppose, at Revix um, and many crypto platforms, uh, crypto exchanges and all the rest are similar. You don't go and you obviously store all your cryptocurrency just with one provider. I mean, that would be silly if that provider had to go down or something had to happen, well, then all the crypto is lost. So you'll end up splitting up your cryptocurrency across different platforms. And because we operate as a crypto broker, we keep a little bit of our cryptocurrency on crypto exchanges. We keep some crypto with uh, custody providers. And in our instance here, we kept some cryptocurrency with a provider based in South Korea called Haru Invest. And we were looking at building out a savings suite of products that we could then offer to customers. So this is something that we were exploring concurrently. Um, and what had happened is Haru Invest in, allegedly had a challenge with one of its own partner companies uh, called Aventus Holdings that landed up uh, Haru Invest sending an email to us as a, as a business saying that we're halting withdrawals. And this was sent, I think, on the 12th of June this year. And we obviously then had to go out to our customers and say, listen, 24% of our crypto assets are sitting with Haru Invest. And this is something that we are now going to need to take legal action on and we're going to need to sort out over time. So we've lent into that head on. Um, we've dealt with the FSEA. We've dealt with the uh, offshore regulators of Haru Invest. So that's across the US, the EU and in South Korea. There have been ongoing legal proceedings. Uh, so there's court hearings happening uh, this month and there have been court hearings that have happened over the last several months in South Korea. And we're working on that. And it has been, a, it's been challenging. That has been yeah. certainly the worst event that's occurred in my professional career and having to deal with that. And also I really feel for the customers that, that were impacted around that because there's all this uncertainty of going, well, what does this mean? Um, but, you know, we as a business, fortunately, have been able to continue operating. I can't say unaffected at all. Of course, you, you have customers that are that are frustrated around that. But, I mean, we're fully committed to getting these funds back from Haru Invest. We're throwing all of our manpower behind that. I mean, while uh, we're moving over to Altify, we're still not trying to, to dodge this. I mean, I'm obviously speaking very freely about it um, on the show. And, I mean, what we'll be doing going forward is on a regular basis. So every few weeks, we'll be providing updates to any Revix impacted customer. Uh, and we will look to retrieve these funds. I'd hope within the next, uh, I mean, it's always difficult to say when you've got uh, sort of regulations in play and you've got legal proceedings playing out, but within the next three plus months or three to six months in total, that's sort of what we'd be looking at. I must say, I haven't followed the story at all. Is it, um, I mean, what, what is the situation here? Is it a Mount Gox type of uh, situation or is it less serious than that? It's unknown. Uh, the CEO of uh, Haru Invest has committed to distributing uh, the assets that they hold, 
But because of this partner issue that they faced internally, it seems like they've had their own shortfall or they've had some sort of fraudulent activity that's occurred within the business. So what we suspect, and I could be entirely wrong here because this is really you know, sort of my personal opinion more than anything else, but I expect that there has been some fraud that's occurred within the business and that's resulted in Hurry Invest having a 10 to 30% shortfall, again, entirely my own personal belief here, on customer assets. And now Hurry Invest is going after this partner of theirs trying to retrieve the remaining 10 to 30% um, or whatever the balance is that they land up having, which could be more, it could be less. And they're working on that, which means that Hurry Invest needs to get approval from the South Korean courts in order to distribute the remaining assets that they have, because not all their funds were sitting with this partner of theirs. So they can't go and obviously just distribute assets that they have because, you know, that could be seen as the CEO is essentially acting beyond his means and more than what he's obviously got the power to do in this current situation. So they haven't filed for voluntary bankruptcy. Uh, which is sort of what we were expecting. We were we were expecting them to go down that bankruptcy proceedings route. Um, and they are fighting this, which is also a positive sign, right? It means that they want to be able to control this uh, and make customers whole. And they are regularly reporting back to all of their customers because it's not just Revix. There's a load of other platforms um, across the world that have been impacted. Other South Korea players that are quite a, quite a lot bigger as well that were institutional focused and were impacted by this. Um, so the fact that we are still getting updates is positive, but we're going to keep our customers updated with the way forward there as well. Has this changed the way that um, that, that Revix now Altify invests in, uh, or, or, or I don't know if this is the correct term, but stores or, or safeguards customer funds? Um, are there alternative ways of storing this money more safely? Yeah, it's a very good question. So because we live in South Africa, and I mean, this would apply if you were living in the UK or elsewhere, you've got to make sure that there's no way that an individual can come to you with a gun, whether that be me or another person in the team and say, give me your customer's crypto assets. And this is a yep. unique challenge. So that's the, the, the problem that really needs to be solved while obviously having secure storage and all the rest in the background. So, I mean, we've worked with Fireblocks for an extended period of time. They're sort of the market leader in crypto custody. So Fireblocks is custodying a very large portion of our crypto assets, but they aren't the sole custodian. And what we're working on doing, uh, we're working with actually two major banks right now, where in the perfect world, the bank is able to take custody of customer crypto assets. And we're able to then show to customers that the bank has custody of these assets. And ultimately, then the bank can provide guarantees. I mean, as an interim, of course, we've gone and continued with this diversified approach where we've got a variety of different custody providers. And I mean, this is the same approach, as I said, that most crypto platforms would take. Um, and this is a space that's going to continue to evolve. I think it's a matter of months because you've already seen this happen in the EU and I guess across Asia as well, where the banks have stepped in and said, yes, you can, as an exchange, custody your crypto with us. We've got the in-house capabilities and, which is something that hasn't been able to be offered to date, we can provide full assurance that these assets are protected. So in the event that anything has to happen, our insurance policy will pay out and you'll be made whole. Um, and that's something that we're working with to offer in South Africa as well. So, and, and then of course in Europe, it becomes a bit easier where we can actually engage with some of those banks as well. Yeah. Okay. Sean, before I let you go, let's look ahead now to 2024 and, and, and what's coming down the road. Uh, let's look at, let's start from an international perspective and, and, and touch on South Africa separately. Uh, we've, we've spoken about the potential for crypto prices and assets to expand next year, especially with the halving coming. What are you expecting from 2024 from a global perspective in the crypto space? So I think there's been a lot of optimism that's been building up now. And that's after this really negative period. So when you start from a low base, like I think what we've had for the last year and a half, it doesn't take much for this market to go up and for there to be more individuals joining the space and all the rest. I mean, the advice that I would provide now to everyone would be the same advice that I'd provide if this was in terrible market condition and we were sitting you know, this time last year. It's just don't get ahead of yourself when you're investing in the crypto space or investing in any other asset class. It's allocating 2 to 5% of your total net worth. If you're more aggressive, sure, do it within reason, go up to 10%. Maybe if you're absolutely in that top tier of aggressive investors, go to 20%. But don't go beyond that. I, I think people have lost their life savings. And I've seen people lose their life savings by going all in on these really speculative projects. Um, so I think just very important to note. But when you're looking at the crypto market, uh, I'll just rehash what I said earlier. You, you're sitting with a really powerful macro backdrop that is supportive of growth assets, provided that interest rates comes down, that they, they come down over the next 18 months. Um, you are sitting in a position as well where you've got these 
bigger crypto specific events. So the Bitcoin halving that can occur, the Bitcoin spot ETF that can occur. Potentially that also opens the door then to an Ethereum spot ETF and a whole host of other financial products that can get launched. But I mean, longer term, what you need if in the space, and I'm hoping to see more of this over the next 12 to 18 months, you need people to come into the space, into the crypto space more broadly and actually use the various applications that have been developed because that's where you kind of see that, call it Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp moment where you have 150 million users to a billion users using a specific app that is Web3 based. And we haven't had that moment just yet. I think there's a lot of, I mean, maybe stable coins have achieved that where you've got a lot of people that are using stable coins for payments, for remittances and all the rest. Maybe that's been the killer app of the, the crypto space. Um, but I'm really excited because you've got the likes of Uniswap, which is effectively a decentralized exchange. Imagine the JSE that just exists on a blockchain, no intermediaries whatsoever. You, you trade directly with another party. I mean, that's incredibly innovative. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other very similar applications and protocols and all the rest that exist in the crypto space. So what I'd be looking at is these sort of leading players. We've actually got a, a bundle that offers exposure to these, but looking at these sector leaders and going, okay, well, which of these are going to get that 100 million users or that billion users and then tracking that over time. So that's what I'm looking at over the next 18 months. Excellent. And in South Africa, what specific South African stuff are you expecting next year? I guess more news on regulation in the crypto space more news on regulation and i think more broadly i suppose now really looking at south africa and the challenges that we've had it's getting the power crisis under control because without that you've got a country that's very hard to invest in right from an international standpoint right you've got industries that can't properly work so you need that to change and then if something doesn't happen with south africa's exchange controls there's just no way that the crypto industry can grow in south africa uh, it just becomes nearly impossible. I mean, if you look at what is probably the fastest growing industry within the crypto space in South Africa, it's the arbitrage industry. So, you know, there's an industry that's emerged where you can send your crypto out of South, or sorry, send your RANDs out of South Africa and bring your RANDs back in through crypto. Um, and you make a premium effectively doing that. So there's a variety of operators that are already reputable that are offering the service. But that's brought this tremendous amount of volume to the crypto exchanges and all the rest in South Africa. And I don't know if that's a sustainable business model going forward. Um, but that's because there's exchange controls that exist in the country. And seeing any sort of development that can, that can happen in that exchange control space would be hugely positive. Uh, I don't know of a country that is open for investment with strict exchange controls like what we have right now. Um, and, and I would love to see that change over the next 12 months. I guess that might have to wait until after the 2024 election. Um, but uh, well, lots, lots, lots of lots of things happening in South Africa next year, including in the crypto space. Sean Sanders is um, CEO of Altify, previously Revix. Thanks so much, as always, for your insights into the complex and ex always exciting world of uh, cryptocurrency. Sean, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. All the best, guys.